The eyes of all wait upon You, O Lord, and You give them their food in due season. You open wide Your hand and satisfy the need of every living creature. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. It's been a fast and busy two months here at the church. It has been wonderful. I want to thank every one of you for your hospitality, your friendliness to me, and allowing me to work here under Reverend Sarah for the summer. I'm looking forward to being back full-time next year for good, indefinitely, starting in next summer. I covet your prayers so that I can endure one more Wisconsin winter at seminary. Uh, before I'm down here in sunny subtropical Florida. I think that one of the most um, human traits that we all share in common is our appetite. If you don't believe me, um, come to the Sunday breakfast at 9 a.m. and try to find one person who's not enjoying bacon and eggs in the fellowship of friends. We hunger. We have desires, needs. And some of those desires are survival needs. They're, they're needs for food and water. And if we didn't have those desires, um, we would waste away because we wouldn't know to eat and drink and so receive the nourishment from those things that we need. I want to suggest that the reason that we have desires is that there are things that are worthy of being desired. God actually created us with desire. He created us with longings. Created, created us with uh, physical desires for food and clothing and, and intimacy with other human beings. And he created us with spiritual desires, with soul desires, uh, longings for our hearts to be fulfilled. Now, if you remember, desire is as ancient as the human race. So in the Garden of Eden, before things fell apart, God blessed Adam and Eve and he said, This is yours. Go and you are welcome to eat any of these trees and you are uh, to be stewards over the animals and to and to glory in this temple of creation and to steward it. But then there was this one thing that they weren't allowed to do. But God wanted them to to their desires that he had implanted in them himself to be satisfied with legitimate pleasures. And what do they do? They go for the one illegitimate pleasure. And this is a story about inordinate desire or disordered desire, if you will. And the reason that this story is so important is because it is our story too. It's the story in which we still find ourselves today. This is the paradox of desire, that it's God-given, that God has created us from, from uh, birth to have longings to be fulfilled for life and for nourishment, for relationship, ultimately for fellowship with Him. But also our desires are disordered and we, and we go after the things that are harmful for us. We go after the things that give us temporary satisfaction, that give us a quick fix for the, the, the fulfillment that we're so longing for in the inward part of our souls. It leads us to forbidden fruit, the sin that separates us from God. Why do we turn to sin? Because sin is the easy way out. Sin is the easy way out. Um, N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, vice is easy because you just put yourself into neutral gear and you cruise along and you let sin carry you along. But to seek after the Lord in a virtuous way takes much more work. It's much harder given the fallen state of our nature. 
I remember for one of my first anniversaries, my wife and I traveled uh, down from Michigan to Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky to uh, do a cave tour. And we camped out for the weekend, very hot 4th of July weekend. Um, and I remember as we finally got to the, the mouth of the cave and we're descending down the stairs with our group, how beautiful it was and how majestic it was. And it was, it was enthralling and enticing. And we were, we were descending it down and we were feeling the, the, the lovely cold air coming out from the, the belly of the earth um, on a hot, you know, 97 degree Kentucky day. And it was wonderful. And as we descended down and started going through the cave and we were absolutely overwhelmed by the beauty and, the, and these things deep down inside the earth. And at one point, our cave tour guide stops the group and she's giving us a talk. And she says, now, I want you to know what it's like actually in a cave that's not lit by modern uh, technology and lighting. And so she begins to remotely click off lights that are uh, placed throughout the cave for tours. And she, she gets them all off, and all she has left is her lantern. And she says, now get ready, because I'm going to now, I'm going to put my lantern out. And she turns her lantern off. The deepest, darkest darkness that you can imagine. You literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. It is the blackest, darkest place that you could be, the darkest darkness you could experience. And I think that's a picture, I use that as a picture not to say anything bad about cave tours because they're wonderful and I highly suggest them, but it's a picture of how sin can work in our lives. It's this enticing and enthralling thing that mesmerizes us and we start to move in towards it slowly and it pulls us in subtly. And once we're finally in the heart of sin, we experience a darkness and an emptiness, an anxiety about where we are and we're still hungry, still longing to be fulfilled. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you also know that when, we, when you fall into sin, you feel the separation that happens, the distance that comes between you and God, a holy God who cannot tolerate sin in His presence. And not only that, sin, what it also does is it, it effectively dehumanizes us. Sin isn't just an arbitrary list of uh, do's and don'ts that are to be followed that are just imposed on us by God because he wants us to have it hard and he wants us to have to live up to certain standards. No, they are, it is the order of creation, it is God's law for us to follow so that we live within his loving embrace in the way that we were intended to live, the way that we were created to live, to find wholeness with him. And so sin is always puts distance in between us and God because it's us saying no to that invitation to live into the fullness of life that God has invited us into. Now, I said sin dehumanizes us. And it doesn't really even take a religious sensibility or any kind of religious faith to understand this concept. Some of you may, um, literary fans may know uh, the name Oscar Wilde. And Oscar Wilde was a 19th century Irish uh, playwright. He was an author, a poet, profoundly intellectually gifted young man who from very early on was studying French and Germanic languages, uh, Roman and Greek mythology, very, very learned, very wise man. But he was also notorious for his lavish lifestyle, his, his indulgence and pleasure, his no notorious for his drinking and carousing in the streets of London, his promiscuity. And a little bit later in life, um, Oscar Wilde ended up arrested for indecent behavior and spent two years in prison. And during this two years in prison, he wrote pages and pages and pages autobiograph of autobiographical reflection on his life. 
Now, this is a man who shirked any notions of religion, did not want to have anything to do with surrendering his life to God. But I want to read something to you because it will give us a sense of how this is an inbuilt um, into the human heart, an understanding of what a life of, of indulgence in, in illicit pleasures does to the human heart. And this is what he says. This is, this is part of his experience. He says, I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. I amused myself with being a flaneur, a dandy, a man of fashion. I became the spendthrift of my own genius, and to waste an eternal youth gave me a curious joy. Tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in the search for new sensation. Desire, at the end, was a malady or a madness or both. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me and passed on. I ceased to be lord over myself. I was no longer the captain of my soul and did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended in horrible disgrace. There is only one thing for me now. Absolute humility. This is for someone who does not even know God, has no interest in religion. See, this is a thing that is naturally built into our human hearts to know that an indulgent and illegitimate pleasures leaves us in an empty space. It leaves us hungrier than we were at the beginning of that pursuit. And that's what sin does. It makes us less human. Sin is a bondage to the things that drain us of the life God desires to give us. The beautiful life of intimacy with Him. St. Augustine, the great church father, uh, put it like this. He said, sin is disordered love. Sin is disordered love. You see, what happens is with this disorder is that God, who is to be at the height of all of our affections and all of our longings and all of our devotion, um, who is to be the God who we love with heart, soul, mind, and strength, begins to get moved down in, in our priorities get moved around in our desires start to, we start to put other things above God. So like I said, sin is not just these arbitrarily imposed rules. What happens with sin is that we start to move our loves around and God starts to take second place and third place to other things. He gets put on the back burner, so to speak, for, to, to other things. And in that process, we experience a distance and a separation from God. And we go deeper into the darkness as we become more distanced from Him. James, uh, the author of the epistle of James, tells us one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured in and enticed by it. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. St. Paul says those famous words, the wages of sin is death. Sin is always a path towards destruction, towards the dehumanization of ourselves. It's moving in towards that which God does not want for us because he knows it's harmful for us. He knows it's just a temporary uh, way of trying to fix, fill a hole that only he can fill. We have another story of hunger in our readings today in our gospel passage from John 6. Um, really, the whole chapter deals with hunger on a number of levels. And today we read about the people who are following Jesus around, and it says because they saw that he was healing people. And if you were here last week, you remember Bishop Greg mentioning that, you know, the people weren't really interested in following Jesus as Lord, really as disciples. They just saw that he was a healer, and they wanted to go and get healed. They had physical needs. And later in the chapter, we see they're hungry, and, they, and Jesus um, 
multiplies the fish and the loaves and everyone is fed. He takes care of their uh, physical needs out of compassion. But then what he does is he actually says, okay, now I'm going to give a teaching and I want you to reflect on what your appetite, the deepest appetite that you have is really longing for. Um, and he says, you know, your four, they say our forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness. And so he sees they're longing for some physical food. And he wants, to take, he wants to get them to reflect on their appetite and to look at what they're truly longing for and to get them to gaze upon that which can really fulfill their soul. And then, of course, he goes on later in the chapter and he says, the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, Blaise Pascal called this the infinite abyss of the human heart that can only be filled by an infinite God. And that's what Jesus is saying in here. In essence, he's telling them, what you truly hunger for is the source of all being, the one who has created you, the most holy and beautiful God who loves you and desires fellowship with you. That's what you're longing for, but you don't really see that yet because you're separated from him because of your sin. But I've come to do something about that. And then we have this bread of life discourse. We call it the bread of life discourse in John when Jesus gives his teaching about himself as the bread of life. He, he basically says, I've come to take your sins upon me and distribute my very broken self, my crucified body, as the bread of forgiveness so that you might be reconciled to God, the true source of life for which you hunger. And that's the good news is that Christ died for our disordered loves. Christ died because He knows that our, our God is not on the top of our, our, our affections and God is not um, being served in the way that we should. And He died for those disordered loves. And He gives us a new life. And one way of looking at the Christian life is it's a, it's a process that we call sanctification, but you can think about that as the process of learning to reorder our loves towards God. And that happens only by the power of His Holy Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. The gospel is not a matter of, well, let me reorder my loves and get cleaned up so that God will accept me and I can come into His presence in prayer. No, that is not the gospel. The gospel requires humility on our part. We have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, in all of my brokenness, in all of my sinfulness, in all of my addictions, I can't do anything about them. I need You to do something about it. And we come to Him in humility. And ask Him to shine His light into the darkness that is in us. The Gospel is not a self-help recovery program. It is not a self-help recovery program because the Gospel is not about you and what you can do. It is about God and Jesus Christ and what He has done and the life that He offers you and invites you into purely by grace. And that goes, this, this goes for us who have been following the Lord for a long time or have known the Lord for a long time and maybe have drawn distance from Him and find these old sins in our lives resurfacing and these, these issues that come up and then we find ourselves continually fighting and sometimes just giving into and kicking ourselves in neutral and cruising along with that sin because it's the easy thing to do. We also are called to come back to the Lord and lay these things at His feet in humility and say, Lord... I have to surrender this to you. I need you to fight this battle for me. And that's the first step of feeding on the bread of life, of reconciliation with God, is recognizing 
the sin in our lives, the empty place that can only be filled by God, that we've been substituting other things for God and trying to fill that hole with, I have to ask myself questions. What am I putting before God? What is it that I've exalted above God in my life to try to fill a hole? Is it uh, food? Is it alcohol? Is it television? Is it uh, sexual sin? Is it what is it? It could be anything. It could be my job. It could be my, my work, my money. It could be anything that is taking that place that only God should occupy. One writer said, to want well, we must want God. To want well, we must learn to want God. And that's how we learn to want God is that we, we take a step inward and we look at what is going on in our lives and ask ourselves that difficult question, what am I putting before God? What has, what has, how has God been neglected in my life? Have, how, is, how has God been neglected in my personal prayer life, in my devotional life? How has God been put lower on the ladder of important things in my life? And He will come to us and He will feed us with Himself with the bread of life, which is our Lord, Jesus. He will fill us and give us the salvation, which is actually union with Him. Salvation is not God from a distance saying, okay, I guess your sins are forgiven since Jesus died for you. No, salvation is God actually becoming man, coming into humanity, taking us, scooping us up, if you will, and taking us back into the divine and heavenly life that is the kingdom of God. And that's what God longs for us. Even when we've grown distant from Him in our lives, He longs to scoop us back up, to take us in His loving arms and say, My child, you've wandered, but you were the prodigal son, but I'm the father who before you're even close, when you're a long way off, I'm filled with compassion. That's what Luke tells us in that parable of the prodigal son, that the father, when the son was still a long way off, he was filled with compassion. You see, God's compassion and desire to forgive us, to reconcile us, to bring us close to himself, it always precedes our, our, our repentance, our, our inward looking. God is always there looking at you from afar off, filled with compassion, waiting for you to come back into life with him. This is what Paul is getting at, I believe, in the prayer that we heard in the readings. Um, the, the first few chapters of Ephesians are a discourse on what has really happened in salvation And Paul, um, in chapter 2, talks about how we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And the Lord came into that as as if we're laying there dead and comes and wakes us up with His grace. He comes in and says, wake up! And He transfers us, as it says in Colossians, from the realm of darkness into His wonderful, glorious light. And He pulls us back into the kingdom of God, into that heavenly place where He wants all of His children to be. And Paul is trying to pound this in to the Ephesians. He really wants them to understand how deep the love of Christ is for them so that they would be rooted in it. And he says, I pray that you have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God filled with all the fullness of God. Our psalm that uh, we opened in prayer with, that He satisfies the desires of every living thing. We are a people of appetites. Appetites that will only be filled, desires that will only be fulfilled by God. 
It is to him we must take our hunger. It is to him we must take our brokenness. It is to him we must bring those things that have been separating us from himself, those things that have taken place over him, to come to him in humility. And he will forgive us. He is waiting for that. And by his power, by his Holy Spirit, we will begin to reorder our loves. We will begin again to love God in the way that we were supposed to because he will empower us to do that when we come to him for his help for that. It is in him that we find our true humanity. It is in him that is the only way that we can fully be truly human. And it is only in him that we can have salvation. And it is, it is him, it is God himself, it is Jesus that we approach at the altar to partake of his broken body, the bread of life, and to be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Let us stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed on page 3.